Two In is back with a very special episode. We're recording um, from the Performance Center uh, this week. <laughs> uh, we're going to record all of our shows now, um, and we'll give it. We'll, we'll leading up to uh, our WrestleMania Two In. Um, you know, so we can just have all this stuff in the can, and we'll be able to portion it out to you. I'm joined today, uh, not only by Sergio, as always. Sergio, what's up, dude? What's up, guys? Um, but of course I had to call in Mark, uh, Malara once again, because, uh, this is a, a dearth of content this week and, um, you know, we're going to deliver even if nobody else does, that's the two in promise. Uh, so it's going to be three in today. Mark, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, straight from the bunker. <laughs> He's hunkered down. He's got his toilet paper piled up. Um, uh, man, it took me about two weeks to actually get one this 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 go around. Uh, my, my, my wife was like, "We need it." She was freaking out, and I was like, "Well, you know, we got like two rolls, and I, as a normal human being, use a few squares. Whereas I look over at her sometimes, and she is doing that whole like motion with the rolling of the paper, you know, like the two hand uh, circular motion. And I'm like, "Who needs that much?" I'm like, We're, "We got a ration." pawing at it like a cat playing with a toy for real yeah mark are you uh are you out of rick right now well i was on a pilot uh jim jeffries uh the australian comedian um it's a multi-camera nbc pilot and i was i literally jumped on that uh the beginning of uh well it was the 12th of march uh 11th or 12th no 12th and uh then we went in and did a pre-table at his house on that friday the 13th and then we pretty much got word we're getting shut down for two weeks and then we'll play it by ear after that i don't think anything's gonna happen personally but so i uh yeah out of work uh i just started work and then immediately out of work yeah stuff happens fast man i mean a week you know two weeks ago we were just talking i was sitting there was like i don't think this virus is real then a week later like everything's shut down and then now it's like even more shut down um you know so but hopefully if everything moves that fast one way it'll move fast the other way and we can just get back to normal i think so i think so um but yes um I guess everybody's out of work except for me because I'm one of the real heroes. I'm out there making <laughs> sure that you savages get fed and uh, I will continue to do so. My Thank life has service. Oh uh, yes. No problem. I, I definitely, um, life has not changed for me because what I normally, the routine is I go to work and I come home and I watch TV and I go to sleep and then I go to work. Uh, so that hasn't changed. <laughs> The only thing that's changed now is that, like, you know, because the gym shut down, I can't do that. So I just have to wait for the gym to open back up, and I'll be working out at home in the interim. Um, but, uh, but Sergio, how's, how's it going out there for you, though? I mean. Well, one thing has changed is that wrestling has actually gotten worse. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah, we didn't think it could get any worse, you know, which. Well, uh, actually, yeah, that's a good that's a good question though. What are you guys doing in terms of working out? I think for anybody, any of the listeners out there that, that do actually like give a shit about their, you know, physiques, if you will. Uh, what, um, you know, what do you, what do you think you can do in this time? I, I've used the opportunity at least the first week to not do anything because sometimes I feel like, <laughs> you know, these rotator cuffs and like various injuries and things that we've accumulated along the way, maybe you could use a week of, 
you know, not using the, the, these, these muscles and ligaments and things, but now I'm getting restless. What do you, what are you guys doing to supplement? Well, rest yeah. is good to a point, um, but Sergio, go ahead. So ironically enough, um, right when everything got shut down, I actually slipped in the shower and I sprained my right wrist. So I actually can't do anything. Um, so I should be out doing cardio, which I'm not. But what's that? You can literally not do anything with your right wrist. You're right-handed? This is a masturbation joke, guys. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, right-handed. unfortunately, Skype decided to distort uh, your joke like right in the middle of you telling it. So we couldn't tell what you were trying to say anyways. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, what I said was, uh, you really can't do anything with a right wrist sprained during a quarantine. <laughs> oh, yeah. True story. Yeah, that's the only um, thing I was going to yeah. get. Yeah, I'm going to do some walking today. I might do some walks a few times a day. That might be my form of exercise. But as you said, Mark, it, it might be a good idea to rest the muscles for a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know... Normal uh, stuff that you can do at home, obviously, push-ups, squats, you know, sit-ups, so what, whatever those kind of things that you like. Um, just something to stay active. Uh, I have a, you know, like I have one of those um, adjustable dumbbell sets, you know, so I can do like a little bit more. Uh, but you just, you know, I've always been, I've never been one of those guys that goes to the gym with a notebook and writes down like every you know, every set and every rep that I do and the weights and all that stuff, I always go in and I freestyle it and I go by like, you know, what feels right on the day. So, um, but you know, for the people that don't know, uh, I'm sure that there's like, uh, people are probably, um, very prosperous on their YouTube channels right now coming up with at home workouts so that they can get views. So anything like that, that you want to type in and you'll, you'll get a million suggestions on, uh, the different things you can do. For sure. Um, but yeah, so, well, other than that, um, whatever, uh, whatever happened in the world of wrestling this week, Sergio? All right, we got, well, you know, everything's pretty much coronavirus related. Uh, we got uh, two wrestlers in WB, uh, Rey Mysterio and Dana Brooke, both on quarantine, which did shake up a few of the matches. So I guess Rey Mysterio was supposed to be involved in some type of a U.S. title match. That's been changed. We're now having the uh, the U.S. champ Andrade team with Angel Garza, and they're going to take on the Street Profits for the tag team titles. And uh, Dana Brooke has been pulled from the uh, six-pack challenge on the SmackDown side for uh, Bayley's women's title, and I'm sure she'll be, she'll be replaced by somebody. Um, so they are they are on quarantine, as in they have the corona. I haven't heard if they actually have it. I've just read that they're to it. Yeah, they might, there's something going on. Maybe they have symptoms. Uh, just I, to play it safe. Yeah, yeah I, I believe they're ill of some kind, and they just don't want to take the chance. I see. It'd be crazy to imagine if, you know, those those were you know the lower card matches, you know. But if someone like a Goldberg or a Roman Reigns, you know, Drew McIntyre, someone someone like that had to be in quarantine, that really uh put a damper on the WrestleMania card. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've I've heard that they're trying to move it to a different month, but it seems like they're just now going full steam ahead for the performance center version of it. Yes. Is that the, that's, that's sad. I'm saddened by that. Which, (laughs) which, uh, which Sergio, um, you know, this news broke like shortly after we recorded last week, but you know, they're making it now a two day event 
a la Wrestle Kingdom, uh, in which they'll have the first, you know, night will be Saturday. Uh, what the fifth? Is that the fifth? Is Saturday the fifth? Uh, I think it's the fourth. Okay, see. Saturday the fourth, and and um, Sunday the fifth will be like the yep. two nights. So. Yeah, and Saturday the fourth was originally supposed to be NXT Takeover, but instead those matches are going to be taped, and they're going to be airing on the Wednesday shows. Mm-hmm. And Hall of, Hall of Fame will be Saturday as well, or how no Hall looking? of Fame, no Hall of Fame. It's postponed until further notice, I believe. Oh, okay. Well, that was one one good move they made. Yeah, they might have people like I, I don't know how they're going to do that. If they're going to just postpone the whole thing, or if they're going to have people like uh send in videos of their acceptance speeches <laughs> <laughs> so that you know if there's a hillbilly gym situation they can just edit that shit out that's true uh, um, maybe maybe shiki baby send in something yeah uh so i mean th- this is the way it should have been you know like that everything should have been supposedly they're going to tape some of these matches and they'll be like gimmick matches kind of like the way you know they did like remember it was like the the Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt match where, and the or the Wyatt family and New Day match where it was like they shot it like a movie and just played it. Um, you know, it, really all the stuff that they want to do, they should just be taping it. Uh, they shouldn't be worried about going live with anything. It doesn't matter if it's live. No one could have told if it was live. And it's not important because there's nothing else to really... Um, there's nothing else to really compete with. So I, I don't to to be honest, going the way they've gone live for everything with like SmackDown, Raw, everything, just everything they do being live, NXT even, uh, I think that's nothing it's done nothing but hurt them because they have to come up with a lot more content um that they they don't have time to like uh shape it just the way they want and you know everything has to be as is and it ends up being sloppier as a result. So you know, I think this is a good time for them to get back to their to their roots of taping a bunch of shit in the can and just portioning it out as they see fit. That's how it used to be in the 80s when I was a kid. Um, you know, there was no, there was nothing live on primetime wrestling with Gorilla Monsoon, you know. There, no, and it was some not, of the best shit ever. Right. So yeah. Uh, that sh- they should re- they should revisit this and get reacquainted with this. Because uh, they're not going to be doing anything live for a while after WrestleMania for the foreseeable future, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, and this also begs the question, which you know, this uh, this came up. Um, we'll, we'll we'll obviously get to the the Benoit stuff later, but uh, when when that that happened, it was floated by some some of the higher ups. Uh, their last name is McMahon uh, about a potential post WrestleMania uh, hiatus. In the sense that these guys, much like the NFL or any major, you know, professional sport, need uh, a period off. And during that period, you would simply, um, you know, put on uh, the, the life and times of Ric Flair, the, you know, demise of the Ultimate Warrior, whatever that was called. Uh, you, you know, you fill the airwaves with content that, you know, people are interested in seeing, you know, you provide stuff that maybe is only on the network or other, um, you know, uh, exclusive content uh, in place of that for, you know, I think they were only talking about like a month or less. Uh, and, you know, that that in this period, it's a, it always it begs the question again of like maybe 
this is an opportunity to to alleviate the, the you know the, the crazy uh, stress on the road and the and the, and the like uh, schedule these guys are on. But I don't think that's happening, unfortunately. No, and you know some of the guys they don't want to be at home. You know, I imagine that a lot oh, of yes. people. I imagine a lot of people take this job because it's it's an excuse to be away from whatever home life they do have. You know, if they're that's, single, they don't have a reason to be at home. And if they have a family, that's a reason to stay away from their family because they don't want to be around their family. And this gives them a built-in excuse. So, I uh, I have to say there's a lot of truth to that, given the, my time working in, in the TV industry, because there are plenty of bosses and people I've worked with that desperately want to be away from their families. Yeah. Huh. That's an interesting perspective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, uh, so what else is new besides the fact that Grey Mysterio's in quarantine with Dana Brooke? <laughs> it's just two of them yeah. stuck in a glass, uh, a glass cube and they'll be shut off from the rest <laughs> of the world. But what, what else is going on? Well, I guess on the, on, the, on the same note, um, so Florida's issued a stay-at-home mandate, which goes in effect on Friday. Um, so which means everything WB had planned on taping, whether it's um, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, WrestleMania, post-WrestleMania shows, all has to be done by Friday. So they're kind of in a time crunch here. Whoa. Oh, I mean, it's not that it's not that crazy. They barely do anything as for the TVs as it is. I mean, you know, they they'll throw in a whole hour-long Royal Rumble or whatever just uh, just to fill time and. Um, they don't even really need any content for the weekly shows. And also, uh, you know, you were going to do WrestleMania all in one shot anyway, so it should be no big deal to do it in the next couple days. Do you think that they're adamant on doing WrestleMania on time? Because right now everyone's kind of home. There's no sports to watch. So so the the opportunity to have more eyes on their product is probably greater now than it's been. Is that, is that a possibility? What do you think, Mark? You know, I, I'm sure that factors in. I'm sure someone's bringing that up that, oh, my gosh, you know, look at the numbers for Netflix. Look at the numbers for, you know, uh, this and that, you know, like, although you can't see numbers for Netflix. But but, you know, I'm sure there are more people watching media and content right now. But I think that the other factor is simply that these are people that are not great at um improvising and, and and changing on the fly and they're just so locked into their timelines their schedules and everything that they're like well we have to do this if we don't what then I, whereas i feel like if this was 1996 or 1997 that era they were they were pretty good at you know shifting and and moving with with the, the winds of change and i i just i don't see that now i see them being such a machine that they're like incapable of of being malleable well, it, it's uh, it's one guy, right? Um, it's just, it's one guy that pulls the lever to start or stop the machine. So if Vince McMahon said, uh, "Yeah, we need to stop everything right now," then what is everybody else going to do? Argue? Uh, they're just going to, you know, do what he says. And if I really think it's just his stubbornness, um, and Mark, maybe you could speak to this more than I can, but it's just this feeling that I get. It's just his stubbornness, um, his refusal to acknowledge that uh, 
that uh, this virus should get in his way and stop him from doing something that he wants to do. And it's um, just a fact of like, he really does. I, I, I believe that he believes in his mind that he's like, this is like a duty of his, you know, the, all the corny shit that they always talk about, like putting smiles on people's faces and stuff. Like, I believe he believes that. Just oh, the, the same way, yeah. the same way that any any um, corporate sycophant would believe what the propaganda that their company spews out is, uh, especially when it's his own propaganda. So he's he's uh, he's saying he's saying we're going to do this because there is nothing else to do. The show must go on. There is no sick. Blah blah blah. Whatever you want to say. Um, I think that's the reason that it's going to happen. That it is happening. That's why they're dead set on it. If it was anybody hey. else but Vince McMahon, probably wouldn't be like that. You can be in quarantine at home, or you can be in quarantine at the Performance Center. Yeah. yeah. Well, we all know he's, you know, the, the, the McMahon is infamous with, in terms of being, you know, the, the idea of being sick is not sort of uh, accepted in, in his realm. And so this is probably no different. A pandemic, oddly enough, isn't even, you know, the... Uh, going to change that you know and that's what we're seeing that on a national scale is you know like not just the president but but many people feeling like well we can't let this go too far you know it can't stop business as usual i mean we have we have uh, an economy to to uphold and and a stock market to to feed uh you know the the beast must feed uh and i think uh you know vince is not unlike that in the sense that well, this is the that and that really was the argument post Benoit when that was brought up about a potential off season was Vince's perspective, and I think there were others that agreed with him is that we're not like those other companies. We're not like the NFL. We're not like you know ballet. We don't have an off season. I don't know if the if ballet has an off season, uh, but he, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> uh, but he pretty much was was adamant that no, that's what makes us special. And and he's not wrong. It's just unfortunately, it's at the uh, detriment to you know people who are taxed. Now, of course, it's not his fault that Benoit, you know, didn't take a fucking day off. You know, even when his best friend passed away. You know, like th- th- this is uh, it's it's it takes two to and, and two to tango and and yeah, I won't say any more because well, I'm sure we'll get up to get to all that later. Well, there you have it. Yeah. That's it for the news in my end. Okay. Um, well, this is kind of small. It's in, in, in light of all these things going on, it's probably not worth mentioning, but I did come across something that, um, where Joe Coff, who is the uh, COO of Ring of Honor, says that they have a plan in place to move to a weekly uh production schedule because uh, right now you know they're like a lot of the other people that tape a bunch of stuff at once and just sort of portion it out um but you know he says something that they they've got a plan to do but you know in light of everything that's going on they don't know when they're going to be able to like go ahead with it and they don't have anything finalized he was pretty vague about it but um you know, it's something that's going to have to be necessary for them going forward if uh, they're going to get people interested in their shitty product. 
And I'm not even sure that that's going to matter. I mean, whether it's, you know, an up-to-date shitty product or, you know, a a three or four weeks behind shitty product, I'm not sure it really matters, but eh, just thought I'd mention it. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, let's uh, go ahead and talk about... I'm not going to talk about AEW Dark because it was, you know, just a bunch of matches um, in an empty arena. Uh, There was a lot of jobbers on this week's episode that had never been seen before. Um, And it was just straight matches. They didn't have Tony Schiavone talking about things because there's there's no upcoming shows to promote. Uh, And they, you know, and Brandon Cutler brought back his uh, 20-sided die. So I was hoping that he got rid of it, but Uh. he didn't. Yeah, that's back. And he gave it to, uh, or uh, somebody came out and uh, oh, Cole Cabana came out and uh, picked it up off the stage and like gave it to Excalibur. But, um, you know, eh, it's just some old bullshit. So we'll just go right to uh, to Dynamite this time. Um, so this was, this was AEW's first attempt at an empty arena show. And uh, we'll see how they did compared to the WWE. So, uh, we got a cold open on Cody making some uplifting speech of, you know, whatever he said. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. And then, uh, Matt Jackson came out and, um, Kenny came out and, uh, you know, like, uh, hangman page came out and, you know, lifted his drink up and went back backstage, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Nick, Nick didn't come out because he got a door dropped on him, you know, the previous week. Um, but yeah, that happened. So what they did, what they did here, and I guess it's been getting a lot of praise uh, from fans and people uh, is they had some of the roster sitting up, making up the audience. Uh, it sounds familiar. It sounds like something I said that uh, the WWE should consider doing. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they went ahead and did it. So you have like guys like uh, MJF and Sean Spears are like gambling on the matches, betting. Um well- this is a time-honored tradition, Jamie. Do you, do you not recall uh, being in the audience in the OVW arena um, cheering your favorite stars and booing the the worst heels? Uh, <laughs> that was always the most absurd thing that we were basically forced to do. And I always found it funny because if you looked at those, um, you know, those, those uh, shows uh, on local access in, in Louisville, Kentucky... You would see like a, a you know a C okay there's probably about forty people but uh, you'd see all these fans that were legitimate like wrestling fans you know uh, a little a little uh, misshapen you know a little slovenly uh, <laughs> and then you'd see like four guys on the corner all wearing like those horrible early two thousands baggy button down shirts that you know are are you know huge on the shoulders because these guys are yoked and then like the you know they billow out on the lower end and you just like see these guys cheering like dummies and uh and i always just found it so weird because they were like yeah i really really like you know like they like it when you you get into it a lot and they you know like uh uh, you know, uh, whoever was running, I guess it was Greg Gagne for a while. Like, yeah, they, they appreciate that. They're, they're really going to like, you know, <laughs> give you a push if you like, if you, you, you um, show how much you care. And I was like, this is fucking lame. So I always hated doing it because it felt so cheesy, but 
it actually, I thought for AEW, I thought it worked pretty well because these guys were clearly having fun. And so sometimes when someone's having fun and you can sense that, it works. I suppose it works when you got guys like, you know, MJF and Sean Spears and Wardlow and, you know, maybe not when you have like gothic mayhem. <laughs> uh, did, 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 um, so now on that, on that little side, side story time, uh, on that note, everything Mark just said about being the plants in the audience. Um, well, I for sure made sure to never sit on the hard cam side with those douches. Um, but there was, do you remember, uh, Mark, do you remember, um, Eric Cobian? Yeah. Okay. Sergio, do you remember Eric? Did you ever meet Eric? I don't remember if he was still there when you came. I don't think so. The name sounds familiar. Was he under contract? No, no, no. Nope. Um, he was in, <laughs> he was in our, he was in our class. So, um, he, ba- long, you know, long story short about Eric, he was big, he was jacked. He was uh he was from the Wild Samoan school. Um he knew guys like uh Snitsky and you know Batista, whatever. Anybody else that came through there. And uh he was a really he was a really cool guy. Um and so he was, I guess <laughs> I guess there was an incident where he was sitting in one of those spots. Like he had, you know, he had the the shirt, you know, that Mark's talking about. Uh, maybe it was like the rocks, $500 shirt, you know, that kind of thing, but not $500. Um, and so he's sitting there and I guess CM Punk was out there for a match and, uh, he didn't like Eric was a heel, you know, like on the, on the programs, Eric was a heel. So, you know, when CM Punk was like, you know, when CM Punk was out there, he wasn't going to react to CM Punk, uh, the way that you know, just a regular fan would. So I guess at one of the meetings, I wasn't there for this, but I heard that, uh, you know, like CM Punk stood up in the, uh, post show meeting and basically said things like, yeah, you know, I don't really appreciate, uh, how some people don't think they need to, uh, play their role or whatever in the audience or so, so some shit like that, basically calling out Eric and, uh, and, um, you know, so that's, that's it's it's true everything you said is true it really does hurt their feelings um when you don't get cheered for just as much as it would it maybe if uh he had given cm punk that extra cheer he would have been able to uh come out victorious in the match who knows yeah that's quintessential cm punk right there uh you know he, he really like buys his own hype uh i mean that's absurd too because anyone watching that or anyone seeing that it's so obvious that these guys are talent. It's like when they, you know, use some guy to be security and you see him and he's got a stupid, you know, top knot ponytail and he gets, you know, he, he does a bump for somebody and you're like, well, obviously that's some fucking local jobber, you know, like yeah. I'm not going to believe that this is a, a, a true to life security guard for this arena, you know? So I just, it's so stupid that he would think, you know, that, that someone out there is going, huh? that guy isn't reacting you know that makes mm-hmm. me not like cm punk or think that he's special enough Fucking yeah. idiot exactly well especially since you got that entire section blocked off that you don't even allow the fans to sit in and you got people that are already on tv and doing other things right you know right. so then you just see him sitting down and it's like uh yeah it was, it was a bad idea that was a that was a Heyman idea though 
So, yeah. So blame him. Um, but anyways, yes. Uh, oh, we got. So we also got um, Brandy's back ring announcing. Um, we got picture and picture back picture and picturing. Um, Hikaru Shida wins a four way to be the number one contender. Uh, let's see. The Jack Dads come out uh, without the hot mom. Um, <laughs> they wrestle Jurassic Kingdom. Uh, they don't have the um, the embarrassment with them. Um, Marco Stunt, I guess. I had my notes without embarrassment. I guess that was supposed to be Marco Stunt. Uh, the Jag Dads lose again. Um, and then we're, you know, we'll, we'll just get to the, we'll just get to the point. It's time for the exalted one. Okay. Uh, we already had speculation on who this was going to be. And I think Sergio already called it. Sergio, who was the exalted one? Uh, yeah. Brody Lee, formerly known as, um, Luke Harper. Oh yeah. Wasn't he that guy that, um, is not over with you? Yeah. I mean, so I, I, he's unique. I just never thought he was used. In the proper way, he's just not. He's not one of those guys you just throw out there. Like he, you know, you kind of got to specially book him, in my opinion. So, for example, the Stark Order game, I think I think it's perfect um, for him. But yeah, I mean, I was never necessarily the biggest Luke Harper fan, but I, mean, I think he's good. I think there's there's something there, you know, for sure. Uh, did you did you guys notice this? Um, you know, they're all in the ring and they're supposed to be looking at the Tron to watch a video, and you know they've got the they've got the shot in the arena of the guys in the ring standing there looking at the Tron, and then it's supposed to cut, and then you know the video package is supposed to take up full frame on your television. But if you notice, right before they cut the angle to the Tron, uh, he starts walking out. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. I didn't catch that. So they so they have the little tunnel there on the side. And you see him yep. like, and you wouldn't know who he is because you can't really tell because he's wearing that, you know, that hooded robe thing. Hood, yeah. Um, but once you start watching the video, you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's what he's wearing in the video. So now if you go back and watch that, uh, he comes out like they, they he either came out too early for the queue or they cut away too late. But you could definitely see because. You know the way the way it works in the when you're watching the program is after it gets back from, you know, the video package, the lights come on and he's already in the ring behind the guys in the ring, who I don't think they were in the ring to start with. I think they were walking up the ramp. So, but it is funny, like they blew that cue. Um, I yeah. just I just wondered yes. if you guys saw that. Well, you hear, uh, uh, Brody Lee said he told Chris Daniels he said you're not, you're not the first old guy that that didn't believe in me. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, it's it's not even a thinly veiled shot. Um, it's pretty it's pretty clear what he's saying. So, I don't know, Mark. What 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 did you think about this whole uh, this whole ordeal? I mean, it's like a weird insider swerve in the sense that you know that Matt Hardy is a free agent, and you expect someone like him to be uh, involved, and so when it becomes Brody Lee, it's like, oh, cool. That's not what I expected, but. Exactly the same. He's been he's been he's been off TV for what five months? Like, how much time has he had to get in? I don't know. Slightly better shape. Something, you know, like 
you got to give it to Bray Wyatt. He actually, you know, his body type, he can't probably ever be like totally ripped. It's just, it's probably difficult for a guy like him, but he's in pretty good shape. And, and he obviously is in good conditioning because he can go, uh, yeah. you know, whereas like you look at like, Brody and you're like, you know, you're a big dude. Like you just got to get a little bit more trim and you could be like, uh, you know, a force. And uh, he just looks a little sloppy to me. And then also his 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 attire looks um, very indie and very stupid. Like he looks kind of like the fallen angel, Christine, you know, like like back in the day version. And you're like, why is that? It's all it, he needs to, in my opinion, uh, if you're in the dark order or you're some individual that's of higher value in the dark order now, you, you ought to kind of match it and look the part. And I just he, he strikes me as like it's like if Judas Priest, you know, uh, when when Rob Helford left the band and they brought in uh, Rip T- Tim Ripper Owens or whatever to, to replace him. Well, if Tim Ripper Owens joined the group and he wore like a fucking sweater vest, you'd be like, what are you doing? This is Judas Priest. You can't come in here looking like, you know, a fucking bookworm. You know, so I just, in my opinion, he didn't really look or feel like he was. He also spoke almost exactly like we know him to speak, like just slightly alter the presentation and you can you can sort of shift gears. And, and I don't know. I just I wanted a little bit more personally. Mark, you greedy bastard wanting more. I know. I Let know. me I got to take an exception with a couple of things that you said. Number one, okay. um, he w- he did his getting in shape during that phase of his in the WWE uh, that a lot of guys go through, which is what I like to call the what do I have to do to get on TV phase? So he already. <laughs> You know, he already toned down that sloppiness like you were talking about. Um, if he put, if he got, if he got sloppy again, I don't know. He looked fully clothed to me, so I couldn't really take a look at it. All I know is, as long as he doesn't wear the wife beater with the stain on it, um, <laughs> that's going to be an upgrade. And and you said he, like he looks. Go ahead. He looks. He looks a little skinny, uh, uh, in my opinion. If he just had, you know, a little right. more muscle mass, but uh, luckily yeah. he's got the height, so that kind of makes up for it, I guess. Right. Right, he because like, he leaned out and um, oh, I was seeing Becky Lynch doing jumping jacks on my TV with the Special Olympics kids. That's that's nice. Um, so, uh, so basically, um, yeah, he used to be bigger and thicker, and then he tried to lean out, um, and he lost his size. You know, which that's generally what happens. So, um, you know, he could put the size back on. I mean, it's not ever he he doesn't come out wearing like the you know, black, black boots and black trunks thing. So he doesn't expose a lot of his body. He usually wears pants of some sort, um, you know, and you know, he can wear a shirt or whatever. So it, it doesn't really matter if he gets a little bit sloppy, uh, you either like the guy or you don't, that's pretty much it. I don't think a pound here or there is going to make too much of a difference. Also, you made mention of, you know, the way we know him to speak. Well, he doesn't speak that much. So for the most part, this is, this is more words than he's ever said in his WWE career combined. <laughs> um, and probably all of all, including, you know, at the, you know, in, in the performance center and any other practice promos, he probably never said this much. So, you know, no one's really going to be uh, too worried if he sounds like what he sounded like before, because most people haven't heard him talk. Well, then I guess my argument would be more that if you are referred to as the exalted one, 
I want to know that you sound exalted or intelligent or something. And he just sounds like, he just doesn't sound, he doesn't sound like, (laughs) you know, an important, significant uh, entity. Well, he's, he's the exalted one of the dark order. So it's not like their standards are so high. That's true. Um, But yeah, I mean, I thought his promo was fine. It was a, the, the content was just the same old ridiculous bullshit that every AEW promo basically is, but um you know he he did fine with the promo i i have no problem with the whole thing except for my thing is more looking at it in the sense of like you know you take somebody that's clearly uh made a big name for themselves somewhere else even though it wasn't um you know utilized in in a way or showcased in a way that made him seem like a really huge star but nonetheless people are going to recognize him and you're you're banking on that you're banking on people knowing who this is when you reveal him. So even if people don't think he's somebody, you're acting like he's somebody and he was just some guy. It'd be way different if it was a guy like Seth Rollins stepping into it. But this is just the guy that couldn't even get used on TV. He was going through the, what do I have to do to get on TV phase? And he, he lost weight. So when you bring that guy in, it's kind of like, Oh really? That's so you had this, this guy was your leader all along, even when he was, driving um he when he was staying at a day's inn in dayton ohio uh and waiting to not get used on smackdown that was your leader back then too or i'm not sure how long he's been your leader so it's just just that that's the issue i have with it of anything but um you know obviously uh no one really gives a shit about that kind of stuff it seems like i'm the one that's complaining mostly about the logic problems here so just the fact that he's there, we'll just see what he does and uh, try to enjoy it the best we can. Um, okay. Now, uh, then we get um, we get Jake Roberts. Now, speaking of good promos, Jake Roberts, uh, he, he cuts his promo as usual. Well, uh, Lance Archer stands there and does his uh, poor Camille imitation. Um, and then they show this weird short film where Archer has a ring set up in the woods where oh boy that was something he answers the challenge of a ring of hillbillies including a few black ones you know just for diversity's (laughs) sake um (laughs) man uh Sergio what what do you what uh what do you think of this did you like this movie (laughs) I don't know I thought it was interesting um I'm wondering where that ring was. Was that the Hardy compound or something? I I heard it was Darby Allen's like uh, house. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. Like that's his shoot property, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah. What was what, what's up with that? What's up with that, Mark? Uh, I, you know, like sometimes when I watch these things, I'm 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 half paying attention, and all of a sudden I'm drawn to this and going. Wait yes. a second. Well, for, I mean, I was drawn in by Jake Roberts first and foremost. So you mm-hmm. see Jake Roberts and you'll you just inherently feel like I must see what this man is saying. And right. as soon as they, they, they cut to the video uh, or as you call it, the movie, <laughs> I uh, I just was I was enthralled in the same way. You know, if you drove by, uh, you know, a, a head on collision and it just, you know, there were bodies mangled uh, on, on the road. Um, it just everything about it was you know this is coming from somebody who had a a ring in his barn uh you know in the basement of the barn um growing up 
and uh you know makeshift something that i built you know and uh i just i I was like what are we selling here that 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 uh lance archer is the king of of small town wrestling like what the fuck is this you know (laughs) uh and and i have to say the guys that he was you know the guys that were taking the bumps they did a fairly decent job, especially, you know, it's being cut and edited, but still like I was, I was at least impressed. I'm like, well, they got some people that could somewhat work, you know, but, uh, but yeah, Lance, I saw a great tweet, um, by this girl, I forget her name, but she's like a comedian who really, uh, you know, is a true like wrestling fan. And she said, Lance Archer will always baffle me, uh, considering that he has classic, uh, you know, handsome, good looks, but seems to always, uh, cover it with the worst facial hair and and you know hair in the in the entire business like yeah he is a he is an odd duck in in that in that way well this is the guy that got a tramp stamp and then tried to like cover it up with like a bunch of like it looks like a bunch of graveyards in it and tombstones (laughs) like a a graveyard full of tombstones (laughs) over his tramp stamp like that makes it any better Uh, but before that you know, he just thought it would be cool in like the mid 2000s to just have like wings or whatever on his lower back. So I don't know that there, there may be uh, something to uh, Lance Archer, but um, this was not a good uh, impression. I don't think it, especially if you think about it, it's like, why? What what about him has ever been associated with like some backwoods, you know, hillbilly like that's more of the Luke Harper thing, wouldn't you say? You think maybe yeah. they like had the wrong guys in the wrong spot? You think maybe Lance Archer should have been the exalted one? Honestly, he I, I could see if they packaged him in the right way. Could could certainly see him as as the exalted one. I mean, why why not? Neither one is. I mean, because the one problematic aspect that I didn't mention before about Luke Harper is that he already comes from this like quasi mystical weird shit with the Bray Wyatt you know the Wyatt family and this whole kind of quasi true detective thing like <laughs> so when i see him now doing this i'm going yeah but you're kind of the lesser brain Wyatt you're you're the lesser uh, of that group so why am i uh why would i follow you in other words you know if i was a member of the dark order yeah well i mean but hey, that's neither here nor there yeah i mean so sergio i mean like his, his like Lance Archer's catchphrase is everybody dies. Like that sounds pretty dark. You know, what's darker than that? Shouldn't he be the leader of the dark order? I can see that. I, I do think Brody Lee is a better fit for the dark order lead because he's just got that cult like kind of look about him. Um, I, I think they're both in the right position to uh, prosper to the best of their abilities, in my opinion. Well, you maybe, but you know, Luke Harper does have that whole backwoods thing going for him too. <laughs> so it's almost yeah. as if Brody Lee was supposed to originally be, be with Jake, and they had they had that gimmick for Brody Lee, and they and they swapped guys. Yeah, and they just kept it for they kept it for Lance Archer. I right. could see that. I mean, I really could <laughs> because because I I mean, you look at uh, Brody and and Jake, and they do kind of make more sense uh in in a weird way but you know you could have also done i know it probably makes more sense to have the exalted one be talon but shit i mean uh, at this point i'd i'd pay i I, i'm I'm interested if if jake roberts 
is behind something related to the Dark Order. That would have worked for me too, because that's what that's what kind of AEW is missing is the rub. Like I guess they were thinking they were going to get that from uh, Marty Lundy, aka Arn Anderson, but it doesn't it doesn't work. It's like sorry, you know, it's like you you, you don't you're not going to get the rub from somebody who got the rub from Ric Flair. It doesn't work. I also wonder how much license guys like a Jake Roberts or an Arn Anderson have to, you know, talk about aspects of the show that they're not involved in. I mean, do they, do they sit around and watch everything that's stupid and try to correct it? Or do they just be like, well, I'm just going to worry about my part. You know, I mean, probably just their part. I would imagine given you know, yeah. if you were if you were like Kevin Nash or you were, you know, the late Dusty Rhodes, I could see them feeling as if they had a better perspective on on booking and and what was going on. But I feel like those other guys are somewhat limited, or at least wouldn't. Um, they know where their bread is buttered. Yeah. So uh, I guess we could just go to the main event. Um, I don't even remember what it was. Uh, it was, you know, all I remember is that Cody's entrance music didn't get entrance music this time. Um, and that, uh, and that Chris Jericho was on commentary and he stole my line about, um, Arn Anderson's waffle house menu. Um, <laughs> Hey, so, Cody still got the, Cody still got the pyro though. Yeah. You got the pyro, but that, that, that that's okay. If you have pyro, um, if Didn't pyro Jericho... goes off in the, in the stadium and no one, you know, no one's around, does it make a sound? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't Jericho have a great line though? Something about um, like I'm a star, I wear leather pants, or what was it? Or I'm a, I'm a champion. He said, uh, I forget what it was. He said he said a, he said a few funny things. I just kind of take it for granted that he's going to be funny, but um, you know, and he's welcome for the Waffle House thing. Uh, but you know, the big, but the big story here is that at the end of the thing, Vanguard one comes out and, you know, Matt Hardy's up there, uh, making faces and doing the delete sign with nobody to say delete. So he's just sitting there making stupid faces and waving his hand around back and forth while nobody says anything. And it's just as, as uncomfortable as it always is when Matt Hardy's has to stand there making faces. I have to say, that's another one. You just did Brody Lee. That's a, that's your that's your one for the night. That's your reveal. That's your, uh, oh my God, this guy jumped. Oh, he's here at AEW now. Save Matt Hardy. Just put him on the, you know, the payroll or whatever you need to do and save it. You know, do, do three or four more uh, being the elite slash Matt Hardy, you know, whatever those videos that they were doing online. Like, you know, build it outside of the AEW universe for a few weeks, hoping, of course, that this, you know, quarantining and, and pandemic dies down and then have them, um, you know, uh, show up uh, with an audience. I mean, I just feel like it was such a missed opportunity. No, yeah, see, it, seemed, it seemed a little rushed. No, there is no tomorrow. There <laughs> is no tomorrow, Rock. There is no tomorrow. Do it now. Look, you guys can all understand this, right? Like when you have a cheat day on your diet, you don't just eat the slice of pizza. You eat the whole pizza. You know, oh, you yeah. tell yourself you're only going to eat two slices, but then you find yourself wolfing down the whole thing. <laughs> and you're like, my body can handle this now. You know, that's basically what it is. They don't know when their next show is going to be, if there's going to be one. 
they're like, let's just get this out there and get people talking. And then if there is a delay, um, it'll build anticipation. Like, well, the last thing I saw was Matt Hardy. So I can't wait till this show comes back. I mean, that's gotta be their thinking. I'm not going to say whether it's, uh, you know, a hundred percent right or, or, or not. Um, because it's like, who can, who can, who can, who can uh, be sure of their decisions, you know, when things are as uncertain as they are right now, but, um, you know, that was a good analogy. Yeah. I really don't, uh, you know, you could have saved him. You could have, but save him for what, you know, like, I don't know. I am excited. I'm excited. Now they have a lot more depth to the roster, a lot bigger guys, guys that have been on TV before guys that can work, you know, upper mid card top spots. Um, they, way more depth now than they did a month ago, you know. So that, that, yeah, that is true. Well, yeah. my only concern is how Riho's going to get her fourteen minute match in every week with all this talent. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what else we're going to get in this week, and that's a, a quick commercial break. Um, so we're going to step out for just a second, but don't go anywhere because you can't go anywhere, and uh, we'll be right back. All right, so um, basically um, we got NXT here. Not really anything to talk about. They spent the entire first hour doing the backstory of DIY. uh, And they were kind of like, so... There, there was a, there was a quick glimpse of a sexy Chucky e. T at the performance center, um, but uh, I saw that. Yeah, so like it's funny to look at it's, it's funny to look at that footage and don't think that they didn't choose that footage on purpose. It's like, hey, you, you know this guy that you watch <laughs> on the other channel? Yeah, uh, he didn't make it here. Like we said, no. Uh, also, it was that one time that Chucky e. T was um, lifting weights. Yeah, that one time. Yeah, remember that one time at performance camp when Chucky e. T lifted weights? <laughs> He's like, "I'm never doing that again, brother." Uh, yeah, so I waited three years. It's been three years, and I've been waiting for the explanation of why uh, Champa turned on Gargano at that fateful NXT takeover, uh, whenever it was. Um, I don't remember the city or whatever, uh, but you know, it seemed like. These guys were inseparable best friends, and all of a sudden he just turned on him. And I always was like, "Well, why did they? I mean, did they? Where did they ever explain it? No, they never did. They never once explained or gave a reason." And I thought, "Well, now when you got these two guys, basically, the new content of this package is like the whole show is like a weird hybrid of like packages and like new content of guys doing like sit down interviews separate." They're just kind of telling their story or whatever. So I'm like, well, now you have to tell me why you did this because you're basically explaining everything as you go. And you're looking back at this footage and then they're commenting on it and they're telling the story and everything. So I'm like, okay, now Champa has to tell me why he did it. Okay. So I've been waiting three years for this explanation. You ready for the explanation? I did what I had yes. to do. <laughs> I did wow. what I had to do. Well, what was it? What did you have to do? You know, you didn't explain it. Johnny tried to explain it. He tried to say something to the effect of like, well, he was just, um, 
he found out he was going to have to go away and have a uh, surgery and he didn't want me to, uh, he didn't want to, he didn't want me to be going on without him. So he tried to take me out too. That, that was, that was Johnny's explanation. They never said anything remotely close to that this entire time. And Champa didn't even say it. Like he left it up to Johnny to try to explain it. So we still don't know really why they ever split up. Um, it's just one of those things that they decided to try to, um, they don't need to explain, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, the whole, the whole show was that. And they did the same thing for like Finn Balor. They showed, you know, his history and with interviews spliced and same thing with Rhea Ripley, their, her history and spliced with new interviews. So it was basically a clip show. Um, but at least they had, you know, some new content. If you care about fake wrestlers talking about fake wrestling and not explaining their actions. Um, was this the episode? Say, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sergio. Oh, no, you're fine. I was going to say uh, AEW almost doubled NXT in the ratings this week. Wow. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, NXT didn't put on a show. They didn't. Yeah. So, what were you saying, Mark? I was just curious if this, because I, you know, as I said, I kind of dip in and out. Uh, is this the one that Alex Shelley was on, or was that a, another episode of? of nxt alex shelley yeah didn't he doesn't he on there for a bit no that was like months ago oh i don't know i saw that somewhere but uh he's pretty good <laughs> yeah, fuck alex shelley <laughs> he, i mean I, when, I, when i saw though he was he did look awfully indie even in the world of nxt so but anyway don't listen to me i won't uh, well, he was, so he was in the dusty classic as Kushida's partner. Cause they were the time splitters, but that was yeah, like, yeah. that was weeks ago and he's in ring of honor. So if, right, you, if right. you love Alex Shelley so damn much, uh, check out ring of honor on the fight TV app. You know why, why at this point they're all vying for their own sort of exclusivity and, you know, you know, you can only see this year on, 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 on ring of honor. You can only have this in NWA power. But really, it seems like Ring of Honor, uh, Power, or you know, NWA, the, and maybe even AEW to some extent, they need to establish a like, like the airlines do, like the Star Alliance. You know, American Airlines and whatever all work together. You know, like because, the, like, like Sergio was saying, the rosters are not all that deep, and so to have the occasional like, you know, we're loaning this person, it just. It doesn't have to be forever. It just is a way. It's like ECW and WWF circa 97. You know, like there's just room there for for building and, and, and cultivating talent. And I don't know why they don't do it. I think it's a mistake. Um, I've said this for years already. And I and I took it one step further. I I would say, and Sergio can attest to this, that the WWE has so much talent that they have no intention of using. And I feel like they should just take it rather than sign guys away from other promotions. I think they should just uh, lease guys uh, that they want just to run a short program or whatever. So, you know, like they didn't want to sign the young bucks. The only reason they wanted the young bucks is so they could bury him. So I was like, well, why don't you just do this? Just, do us do a thing where you sign them to a short term little deal where they can come in and do some shows and you can get like a small percentage of their 
their t-shirt uh, sales that they normally get a hundred percent on their own. And then now you could say like for a limited time, we could sell young bucks merch in the WWE shop. And then as soon as they're gone, they're gone. You don't have to worry about them anymore. Uh, but, but you can still spike the interest in your company. I think everybody should be looking at that. Not just like everybody looking to team up with the WWE. I think the best way to, you know, incentivize bigger business is to sort of treat it like the national wrestling Alliance. Like you said, where people would like exchange talent more often. Yeah. That's the only way that things are ever going to change in the future. Otherwise you're going to spread everything too thin and everybody's going to get a smaller piece of a smaller pie. Yep. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, SmackDown is a bunch of crap. I'm not even going to bother with it. Uh, how about how about the awful debut of uh, Gronkowski? Yeah, so I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm just like, he's out there dancing and stuff, and I'm sitting there, and the, what I'm thinking in my mind is like, well, even Sergio's not going to put this over. Uh, <laughs> See, so basically, Mojo is doing his old gimmick again, and, and they're doing it together. Yeah, I, oh, I gotta was- tell you. That was actually, hold on, Mark. That was actually the biggest news of the week that we forgot to say at the top is that, um, you know, they made sure to officially uh, announce that Mojo is part of SmackDown now. You know, that that's an official uh, news item, you know, just in case anybody was wondering, like, hey, he's a raw guy. What's he doing out there? You know? Uh, yeah, don't worry. It's official. He's moved to SmackDown to be with his friend, Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski's probably not, not even really his friend. He's probably just like a guy that he knew. And he probably like never talks to him, never calls him, never texts him or whatever. Just as like, you know, and, and let's just say um, Mojo Raleigh is much more of his friend than he is much more uh, Mojo Raleigh's friend type thing. Um, that's my that's my uh, guess based on the way they act around each other. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. What were you saying when I cut you off? I fucking hate gr- the Gronk. I mean, I just, that guy is so obnoxious. To me, he is like everything that I disliked about um, privileged, goofy jocks from my high school. Uh, there's just nothing there. It's like, he's not funny. You know, you know, you know that show, Ridiculousness? It's, it's just full of stupid people laughing and holding their hand to their mouth, being like, oh, shit. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski is that level of, uh, you know, athlete slash humorist. I mean, there's nothing there. He just he's he's like Disney Channel uh, <laughs> level, you know, he, you know, kids multicam uh, humor. I mean, it's the worst. I don't know what the I don't know why they think he's a viable. Like, what is he going to be like the host of WrestleMania or something? Yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's terrible. I, I don't know what the hell they're thinking, and they have no taste. Well, um, he is a celebrity, and you know they'll latch on to anything that gives them any sort of credence, just so they can, uh, just so they can, uh, you know, get him in there and show them how uh, their business is real, right? Right. Um, yeah, um, this sucked. Is there anything else anybody wants to say about it, uh, Sergio? I don't know if you, you you're never a fan of SmackDown, but I imagine even less so this time. Yeah, I, I honestly didn't get through a whole lot. I was surprised to see Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan as a team. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, but nonetheless, eh. 
you know, SmackDown. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a two Oh five note just real quick. It's a uh, Cena ingratiating himself, which I'm sure maybe you might've seen the clip of him sitting in the audience watching two Oh five live and making sure to post a tweet talking about it, putting himself over how he's doing it. Um, yeah. So that's just, that's wait, just wait, more. Who, who, who was that? John Cena. C- John Cena. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You, you didn't, you didn't catch that or, or you did. No, I didn't catch that. Yeah, so he, you know, he he was sat and watched 205 live from the seats um in the empty arena and he made sure to get like somebody filming him doing it so that he could talk to the camera about how he's always wanted to watch from the seats but he usually can't because he can't go sit in the audience with the people um but this is what he wants. But this is all just a calculated move for John Cena to put himself over and ingratiate him with the himself with the hardcore marks that would actually be watching 205 live. So um, so I'd throw that out there. Uh, now, Sergio, you've been catching up on a little bit of MLW recently, right? And it's, have, it's now yeah. your, your new favorite show since Raw isn't good anymore, right? So now it's MLW? Yeah, it's my favorite right now. They have a crowd still. And I actually think the show is pretty good. Um, they got a pretty, pretty, pretty decent roster. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember texting you saying you should have watched it back when it was good. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, I will say this about, I know you're a Tom Lawler fan, yeah. but uh, he has got to have the worst gear in wrestling, in all of wrestling, period. It's got to be Tom Lawler. Like, what <laughs> What the fuck is he wearing? He's got like these, like, these black leggings um, with, uh, and he's got like these, uh, looks like, like swim trunks, but they're like brown. But they're almost like they used to be white until they got covered in mud or shit or both. Um, they just look like spattered brown. It's just it's just disgusting. Like everything. And I know his name is Filthy Tom Lawler, but that's like a figure of speech. Like you don't have to look like your your shitty uh, swim trunks are filthy too. He, he just looks ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, not the best look for sure. Yeah, and then you know, so. Yeah, that's pretty much. I mean, there's Monday Night Raw. I've got nothing to say about Monday Night Raw. Anybody? No, it, uh, it's not really logical why uh, Garza and uh, Andrade all of a sudden get a tag title match. But um, you know, I'm not expecting everything to be logical with with WWE. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You don't need logic for something like that. If you just decide somebody gets a match, that's okay. <laughs> It's it's not necessarily logical to have somebody that hasn't been on WWE TV be the leader of your faction, but you know it's definitely logical to just throw two guys together in a match. WWE does it all the time. Did you um, notice the botch the botch finish though on that tag match? Um, apparently, uh, yeah. Cedric Alexander. Apparently, he really got knocked out from the elbow from Andrade. Did he? I mean, it didn't look like he hit him. Not really. I just I just thought. Uh, I just thought he he didn't know the like he was confused about what the finish was, or I think he thought the ref only counted to two at the time, because it's like he 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 raised his shoulder at the exact right time for like a four count, you know, or 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 whatever, you know, like he already he already counted the three. I guess he thought it was two. Um, I don't know. That was weird. Yeah, I just I don't know. It sucked. Yeah. Uh, who cares about any of that? So what we really <laughs> want to talk about um, is uh, 
So the season premiere of Dark Side of the Ring uh, was last night as of this recording. And so for the people that don't know, the Dark Side of the Ring is like a Vice TV program that just sort of takes pro wrestling stories, usually from the dark side, and kind of does like their little documentary treatment of them. Uh, they've done stuff like about Randy Savage and Elizabeth or um, Gino Hernandez or uh, Bruiser Brody, um, you know, all these famous wrestling stories that a lot of us that are fans or have been in the business are pretty familiar with, but uh, you know, they would still be entertaining to somebody that really has no idea about pro wrestling and um, never heard of any of these people before. Uh, they could still find this stuff uh, fascinating potentially. So the episode was about the famous Chris Benoit um, tragedy where he murdered his wife and son and killed himself. Uh, we all sort of kind of, kind of close to the situation. And, um, Mark was probably the closest of everyone, uh, because you were working at WWE when this all went down, right? That would be correct. I can go into detail, but I was, I don't know if you wanted to um, uh, kind of get into the, 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 the documentary. Well, first, or... just... Um, before, before that, um, now, so we, so Sergio, you and I were still at, you know, we were, we were still at OVW when we got this news. Do you remember getting the news? Cause I was trying to think about, it. it's like, how did I hear about this first? Who, did, who told me, um, when did I hear about it? I, I couldn't not remember. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember exactly. Actually, I was actually sitting in practice. So I'm assuming you must've been there too. Right. Um, uh, so we're all sitting down, and I, I feel like it was Rip that made the announcement, but I'm thinking, how would he have gotten the news? Because at that time, Rip wasn't really, you know, a big social media guy or anything, unless somebody just told him verbally. Oh, people, but I remember him making... People would text him that? all the time. Okay. So yeah, he made the announcement. We're all, you know, in total shock. At that time, he was actually my favorite wrestler, and I would actually study him, because, you know, he made everything always look so real. Um True. But yeah, that was that was that. That's where we were. So what Rip told you was, I'm assuming, given the timeline, because uh, you know, three hour, well, two hours different. I forget what the difference is where you're in, in Texas. It might be two hours difference to the East Coast. But uh, so you heard, say, midday or, or later afternoon, perhaps. Well, it it would have been like it would have been. If we were in practice, it would have been. I did, had to been on Sunday. No, nobody knew anything Monday. on Sunday. It would yeah, have had to have been on Monday because yeah. we had practice on Monday, and practice was in the evening. So we wouldn't have we we would have heard about it first. We wouldn't have seen Raw, which that would have been the tribute episode, right. and right. we wouldn't have seen that until later. So, um, yeah, yeah so just. I, it strikes me that basically Vince told all of us in the arena at probably, I would say, 5 p.m., 6 p.m., maybe, uh, whatever time zone Corpus Christi is. And then I'm sure individuals in the uh, the group there, somebody texted Rip. And then I'm guessing around that time, 
uh, or shortly thereafter, he told you guys. Yes. And, and so I don't even remember that, but it, it, it's, I'm sure it's as Sergio said, uh, there was, and, and nobody knew anything at that point. We just knew that yeah. he was, uh, we, we just knew that he had died. I don't even know if we knew about his wife and kid at that time. You know, I don't even think we knew that much. I don't think um, we did. I, yeah, what we were told, uh, yeah, it depends on what Rip, what, what Rip was told, but I know for certain, uh, you know, that was the crazy thing about the documentary is, you know, I'm watching it as, you know, at least in the initial, uh, 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 I don't know, I'd say the first 20 minutes of it, I'm, I'm watching and, and, and paying attention as a, you know, as a, as a, as a fan and as a person, you know, uh, like I was at WrestleMania 20. And so all these things are, or they're raw, but they're not, I'm not that close to it. And then once Chavo mentions Laredo, Texas, and that Texas loop in general, I immediately kind of perk up because I'm like, oh, right. I was there. That was like the first night. And then the next night was, I think, Dallas uh, for the pay-per-view. Um, which, you know, Chris didn't show up for that either. And then uh, Monday was Corpus Christi. So once, yeah, once it got into that section, I was like, whew, now it's all sort of coming back in a more kind of uh, palpable way, uh, especially when Vicky, or they mentioned that uh, when Vince told everyone that Vicky kind of burst into tears and was sort of uh, escorted, you know, away from the, from ringside, uh, by I think Dean Malenko and I was like oh right now that really like I, I that I kind of just forgot and having them show that like dramatization in the documentary I was like whoa okay I remember that that was a that was a rough moment because um she was very close to to everyone obviously yeah so one of the things that I one of the things about uh, that that sort of that the dark side of the ring series does is they have those, you know, they always have the dramatizations in these, um, you know, in these type of true crime shows, but the way they do it is they sort of like, it, it's out of focus. Yeah. Uh, so you can never see anybody's face or anything. It's all just like silhouettes almost. <laughs> and, you know, they get people to sort of approximate these people and the costumes are, you know, pretty decent. Yeah. Um, but it's still like, I don't know. It, I don't, I, I was the whole first season. I was kind of going back and forth. Like, is this really necessary? Like, do they think that we, we need this, you know, to, you know, to really like, do you just have to have dramatization scenes and these type of things? We, we can't just take the people's words and, and have that be enough. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure, but yeah. Uh, with the, maybe, with for, the, maybe for the, uh, the casual viewer, that's not a wrestling fan. It might make um, intrigue them a little bit more. Yeah, right. it makes them feel like they're looking at something that's in proximity to what happened or what it looked like. Uh, I mean, as a former um, uh, props department um, uh, employee for uh, Celebrity Ghost Stories, in which we did many a dramatization, uh, you know, uh, be it, you know, the Vince Neal ghost story, um, there, you know, lots of... Uh, hilarious you know 
people acting as if they're Vince Neil. You know, this guy I remember once was great. He was like, how, how, how did I do? Did I did, did I look good? And we were all like, you don't have a line. Like, you're just in the background <laughs> with a bandana on. Like, you're not him. Uh, and But I will say that might just be a kind of hallmark of that type of a program or that type of a docu-series where they don't have enough footage, they don't have enough even maybe photography, because I agree with Jamie that I'm fine if you just have some sort of like Ken Burns zoom in of photography while someone's narrating. That's fine. I don't need, you know, this blurry image of a guy flying off the top rope. It's just, I guess, you know. Yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It just seems like something they do because they always do. So I, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. I'm not too far one way or the other on it. But it's something I always wondered. Um, but it's like, you know, in other dramatizations, uh, you know, it, it's kind of. I don't know. It there. It doesn't always lend itself to the cartoonishness, like because when you see these, like when you see these people and like the stuff they wear. It's, it's it might you know invoke the wrong response like you might think it's funny looking you know that somebody's got like you know basically purple underwear on or whatever uh you know when it's when it, they're talking about it like an extremely serious um situation so um i don't know but it, it, uh, it definitely lends it lends itself for the more um yeah the the, the heavier subjects so even like the bruiser brody one that kind of worked with the with the silhouettes and things because you're the the story literally is about this like you know uh, locked room showers and something got stabbed and like so you're you're you you want to see this like uh, blurry distance because that's the way the story is kind of even being told is that something happened in that room you know like so kind of. It helps, it, it maybe more for the for for the darker ones, if you will. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mark. Mark, let me ask you. Um, did you ever have any interactions with uh, Benoit? You know, it's funny. Like as I'm watching that uh, that documentary, you know, the Dark Side of the Ring, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, as they talk about like certain individuals on it, talk about Chris, like you know, he uh, was a family man, and he you know ha- had this softer side, uh, but when he was you know, with around the boys and he was in the back and he was, you know, in his role, he was all business. And I would say that's pretty accurate. And I think during my time there, I had a few interactions and they were always very like stern, professional. Uh, You know, I think he once I was in Gorilla and uh, he was going out for his match and I had to like I had to go over something with him like, well, according to the document that I had that 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 I had to kind of corroborate with all the agents, like, okay, you're going to be working on um, on the back because in the previous match, somebody worked on the arm. So we don't want to double up on what you're getting the heat on. So like I might have said something to him like, okay, you know we've got it listed that you're working on the back yeah got it okay and it's which is always awkward to have some you know no name writer's assistant like you know uh relaying information as to what these professionals need to do in the ring but there's something like that and uh and chris was you know just 
kind of a quiet and um, intense would be the only way I could describe him. Mm. Uh, but I, but the more I, you know, I didn't know about the kind of conspiratorial, uh, the end of his life there, the, the, the distance he was putting himself between uh, pretty much everyone and feeling like he had to get in a separate car because he, he heard about fans following people and whatever, all this stuff that, I never knew that. I never heard about that. But it does kind of make sense because he really did keep to himself. Like, I think I never saw him just, you know, yucking it up in catering the way that you would see everyone else, you know. Uh, so he certainly, that was a dark period b- before everything. Um, and, and again, I didn't even know based on the documentary. I had no idea just how bad he had taken the death of Eddie Guerrero. I know he was obviously broken up about it, but I didn't know he was going to Eddie's house and crying in his bed. You know, that was all kind of new information for me. Um, Sergio, Sergio, did you ever meet Chris Benoit? I never did. No. Yeah. Um, I didn't meet him, but, uh, there was like his, like when I was at WrestleMania and I'm waiting to go out, um, his match with MVP was like right before the Batista and Undertaker match. So after the match was over, you know, I, I basically just sat there. I stood there and I listened and I heard the whole match. You know, I heard the the crowd, I heard the you know the bumps, I heard everything, and I couldn't see any of it. And then I hear the bell ring and I hear his music, and then um, and then he comes. So like he has to come past us when he walks backstage. And when he walked backstage, he wasn't just like walking. He was shuffling as if he was injured. Like people were still watching him. Like he was selling even as far back as where we were standing, which was, it wasn't like right next to gorilla because there was lines of us that had to go out. So we had to file out at us from a certain place. So he all the way back there, he's still like selling the match when he could have just walked through the curtain and just, you know, you know, shuffle by. But he's sitting there and he's like almost dragging the United States championship um, like on the ground, basically. Um, so if that speaks to any like level of his professionalism um, in terms of like yeah. how seriously he took the business. That, that's the best anecdote that I can personally give you. Yeah, I mean that that's sort of consistent with what Jericho was was saying uh, in that you know this was an art form for him, and you know like Daniel Day Lewis or something you know it's like he, he clearly was was more method than the average guy uh, you know it obviously to the ultimate detriment because he it, it took it all far too seriously and it, you know in some ways it probably consumed him uh and he put you know he like uh, as jericho said like you know gave his his life to the business uh and took others lives unfortunately too but jericho uh it's interesting to have heard him talk about it in this documentary because in previous um podcasts of his it was always difficult to get a sense of like how he felt about chris in the in the final uh years or months uh, because obviously earlier in their career, they were more friendly and there was a better rapport. It seemed like in those last two years uh, post Eddie Eddie's death that Jericho was souring a bit on the 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 man 
uh, Chris Benoit, not necessarily the performer or any of those things, because it seemed he really was kind of going off the deep end, and that he was. And Jericho never holds back with that stuff. Like he has said, like Piper was kind of crazy and, and, and difficult to work with. He's he's mentioned Mickey Rourke. Like he doesn't hold back on that stuff, and so it was interesting to hear him kind of be uh, very honest about Chris uh, and his behavior. Yeah, when when Jericho was talking, I wasn't getting the vibe like they're like best buddies. So I was kind no. of I was, yeah, that was interesting. I I feel like he's talked about this so much or thought about it. I mean, I've heard him talk about it a lot. Uh, I've heard him talk about it. He's written about it. Um, you know, he's he's been over this stuff. And I'm sure that every time he does an interview with somebody, you know, they probably ask him about it. And I think when you when you have to deal with a subject that much, um, that by the by the time the latest time that you have to talk about it which that would be this uh you're just going to be a lot more matter of fact about your feelings about it you know yeah. he's 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 done all the crying he's going to do he's done all he's asked all the questions that he's going to ask um he's he's sort of like i feel that he's sort of made his peace with the way you know things happened and he's just not going to be apologetic about it but i i I don't necessarily look at it as, as in terms of like him distancing himself from Chris Benoit. I think, you know, it's, I think he just, it's, it's just like dealing with the situation and talking about it. I think he's just gotten to the point where, you know, he just says exactly what he wants to say about it. I don't think, um, it, it really has to do with necessarily like his feelings per se. So I think what you guys are seeing, like when he's doing that, it's like, it's so, it's, it's so often that he's talked about it to the point of it being almost rehearsed now. And he's just going to come across and just, you know, say how it, say how he feels, you know? So, um, yeah, but it's, uh, it's definitely, um, it's hard to go back and watch some of that stuff because it kind of takes you back to a certain place and time and it really did change everything like when that happened and there, there's a point there's a point where jericho says uh where he's like he, he's like he almost like this almost shut down the wrestling business you know and he's not really he, he may be exaggerating a little bit but not really um because this this did this did a lot of damage uh, in a lot of ways, um, to, to, you know, sports entertainment as a, you know, as a, just the way it was perceived. Um, and you know, when this whole thing first came out and you would turn on the news and then everybody was trying to get their 15 minutes of fame, um, you know, uh, like just showing up on any new show and any new show would talk to anybody, people that had been out of the business for God knows how long and we're just uh, bitter and looking for a chance to lash out or looking for a chance to get a little bit of spotlight or whatever. And people are out there, they're talking about um, just, you, you heard the term roid rage. I don't know how many times. Right. Um, just so ridiculous. Like um, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was, but it, it cast it just the, the repeated 
you know, um, coverage and the saturation of coverage about this, uh, it, it, it was, it was bad for wrestling. It really was. Um, but yeah, I will, I will say, I'm not sure like, uh, how much they go into depth in the second half because I haven't seen the second half, but, uh, I know for me, once the information was, we, at least we got the full, uh, uh, report, um, you know, by after Vince told everybody at the ring, we, uh, you know, went back to the writer's office and everybody went their kind of separate ways. And, you know, I assume the, the wrestlers to to the locker room and and it was a question of what will we do now? So we had to completely rewrite the show. And um, of course, at this point, also the storyline was that Vince was blown up and he, we scrapped that and instead Vince, you know, came out and addressed the audience at the start of the show, turned the, turned the actual uh, uh, live crowd, turned them away. So they actually, all these people uh, literally lined up outside of the arena in Corpus Christi had all go home, promised a future event, which we did end up going back there. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was strange because then we did this memorial show and then heard uh, I was I think I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but uh, the Krista Joseph suggested that I be the driver for uh, Jim Ross and JBL to San Antonio for the next, next night uh, uh, taping of SmackDown. So I, I indeed did do that. And on that drive, um, I mean, lots of interesting things came up. But on that drive, when we heard uh, JBL got the text and then informed uh, Jim Ross and I that that um, that indeed this was not just a horrible tragedy in which these three people were murdered or killed or something, but rather it was Benoit who who was the perpetrator and uh, you know and then off himself. So it was uh, it was a lot, and um, you know uh, then the subsequent days, weeks, um, it was an inundation as as Jamie said of stuff in the news. I'm on the private jet with Stephanie, uh, which would often happen. Like there was too many people that would need to go back to Stanford on Tuesday night after the taping of SmackDown. So I would rarely be on that flight. Sometimes I would be, but it would most often be, you know, Vince and, and Kerwin Silfies and JVL and, uh, and some of the writers, um, uh, and Taz and people. And then I would take the next, uh, day, um, the flight with Stephanie on Wednesday. So oftentimes it would just be myself, the other writer's assistant, and then Stephanie and her kid and her nanny sometimes. So it was very few people on this, you know, uh, small charter flight. And uh, we're sitting there, you know, watching the news in in the plane. And, you know, rightfully so, Stephanie's getting pissed because, you know, you've got Steve Blackman and you've got uh, random people popping up and, and getting their 15 minutes of fame again to talk about this and to... Uh, and I'm not sure really if, if in the case of Steve, I'm not sure what he said, but people were, yes, bringing up Roy Rage, most probably the pundits and the, the, the anchors on the news, because to them, that's the closest connection they have, especially when they see the images of this Jack dude, you know, like, you know, giving the sign that he's going to kill someone by, you know, running his, his thumb uh, across his neck. Uh, you know, like, it's a bad image. And, um, I think I maybe even shared once on the podcast that when we got back to the uh, the offices later that week, 
uh, Shane came in with, with this magazine that had just gone out. It was not the WWE magazine itself. It was like a special edition magazine in which it was like a profile of all the superstars um, like going into SummerSlam or maybe just for that year. And it was just unfortunate because the Benoit profile was like, you know, big picture of Benoit, his bio or his information. Then it just said a quote from him. I like to hurt people. <laughs> yeah. and it was like no and so they had to pull that from the uh you know from from the shelves and um you know it was it just brought up a lot of information a lot of talk about you know and that's why i brought up earlier is uh what um what do we do uh, will should there be an off season do these guys need this Does that play a role in this and uh you know it was yeah it was a tough yeah, time, a tough time. Uh, so <laughs> It's yeah, not only that, like with the magazine, but also looking at the tribute show and some of the things that people said, like, you know, Chavo's on there and he's saying, you know, I would trust him with my life. I trust him with my kids, you know, and it just, there was no way you could know. It's just, that's got to feel like the whole thing was just so awful in the timing now. Um, So Sergio, you know, when you were hearing them, talk about all this stuff on the news and talking about steroids and all this stuff. Like, what were you thinking about um, when you're trying to piece all this information together and like, how did this sound to you and, and what were you thinking about? I just thought it was just typical news stuff. Um, as someone who's used plenty of steroids for a long time, I can personally say that it's likely not roid rage because, you know, as they say, like, you know, if you do get into a fit of rage, it just only lasts like a couple seconds, you know? Not, you know, three days or however long the Benoit thing lasted. So, yeah, so that that kind of annoyed me. I didn't like all that negative, you know, propaganda on steroids, if you will. I didn't believe that part. Right. Uh, so, I mean, when when your test levels go up, I mean, you can it, it can sort of amplify your personality to a degree. Like if you're if you're kind of a dick, sometimes you can be a bigger dick. Um, it, it can kind of, it can kind of make you more like a little bit more irritable or things like that. Um, but it's, For it's sure. not, it's not nowhere to the, to the point where you don't know what's going on, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'd, I'd venture to say, and maybe they get into this in the second half so you can tell me Jamie if they do or not, but you know, what really became the issue, uh, from all this was the CTE and the fact that uh, Benoit's brain was that of an 80-year-old Alzheimer's patient, you know, yes. that's that's what they likened yes. it to. And I, you know, that's that's really what we're talking about here because you know there are people with brain tumors that do erratic, strange things. And it's you know it's it, even though Benoit was a weird dude and obviously was kind of got you know conspiratorial towards his his last few months or, or years or whatever. Uh, you know, it isn't just one thing. It isn't, oh, he had a fit of roid rage and decided to, you know, do this. It's like, it doesn't, if no. that's the case, then, uh, then, then, you know, why didn't the Macho Man do that? Why didn't Hulk no. Hogan? Why didn't Don Morocco? No. It, yeah, so, yeah. you know, they do get into that and Chris Nowinski is on there. And when, it, in, in, if you can say that there's one good thing about this, is that this really, uh, this was one of the, uh, like a big moment where things started to take a turn and people would like really start to, uh, 
um, see the effects of concussions in the long term. And because of Chris Nowinski's research and things like that, it, you know, we're, we're at a much better place in all of sports, let alone professional wrestling, because, you know, they've been looking into this uh, ever since then. And this, you know, there, there's other people that were doing it too. Um, you know, like the guy that Will Smith played in that movie, which, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily blame the people for thinking what they thought. I mean, when you see something that's so crazy like this and it just doesn't fit the profile necessarily, like everybody says Chris Benoit is a great guy and a family man and all this stuff. And they just don't see how he could do this. And it just didn't fit. And people are just grasping for answers. Lots of times things happen in this world and we don't have an answer and we really need one because it sucks not knowing why. So we're looking for anything that we can. And we didn't know about, we didn't know about CTE, what we know now back then. So, you know, we're looking at steroids like, Oh, it's gotta be steroids. I've heard the term roid rage before. So it's gotta be that look at this guy, you know, he's clearly on it, you know? And, and when people are grief stricken, you, you can sort of forgive that they're, they're grasping for answers, um, but you know, it, it is like, it, it's, it, um, to have your, to have, to have your brain deteriorated to that point, it's just, it's dementia. It's basically dementia. And when you have, when you suffer from dementia or, um, you don't like, you don't, you may have moments of clarity or you may spend a majority of time in clarity, but when you have episodes, you don't. You, it's different. It's like a different person. You don't understand. You know, you don't understand what's happening. And in the in the movie Concussion, there's a scene at the beginning where there's like a football player who kind of snaps and, um, you know, almost kills his wife. Um, and even though it's a movie and it's a dramatization or whatever, um, just the way the scene plays out, you know, I remember when I was watching it, the first thing I thought of was like, man, this is a really good explanation for what might have happened to Chris. Um, because the guy didn't, you know, the guy didn't know who he was. He didn't know who his wife was either. So you can imagine a situation in which, you know, he had an episode, end up killing his wife. Then he's like, you know, another, another thing with the kid. And then he realizes what he's done now. So now the reason it's taken place over three days is because he's trying to figure out like, what am I going to do? What, what do I do now? Now that I've done this, I don't know how this happened. What do I do? So, um, you know, it, it makes perfect sense looking back now, but at the time, nobody could figure out why something like this could happen. No, and it also, you know, the kind of weird clarity of sending people text messages that say, my physical address is this. The dogs are in the back. The, the the door is open or whatever. Like that is something that I think you would only send if you suddenly became lucid and you needed to send the most like concrete uh, information. Like because that that's just such a bizarre thing as well. You know, like uh, yeah. you know, even though my physical address is this. That almost sounds like he hit some button on his phone, like for OnStar or something like that. You know, like it's just, it's yeah, it's uh. Yeah, Ch Chavo, sa Chavo says. To put it together. Chavo says that the 
it is it was something like um it, like he he knows what it was but i'm i'm struggling to remember it's like the dogs are in the enclosed pool area and the gate is open like that was the text that got sent um to yeah. different people and he says that people still like like fans or some assholes or whatever will still like tweet tweet that to him or or shit like that is like yeah like like what do you you know what do you think you're doing but but um yeah i mean like i could see that like if you're if you're at the point now where you're so far gone like now you're back to yourself and you realize like well you know i have to kill myself now you know you're you're basically have to let people know um in, in so many words like the you know with the least amount of information um yeah but yeah. it's yeah yeah the damage is done this is the information you need yeah i've i've yeah. resigned i've resigned myself to taking my life now because there's no coming i can't live with this you know that's basically what right. it is like if you woke up to find out that you killed your wife and son you're not it's going to be like well i guess i'll just go to jail no you're you're yeah. gonna you can't live knowing that you did that especially if you're not the type of guy that does that right. so you, yeah. you got it you pretty much got to end it there i mean but, um, yeah. you know, but we, we still don't know for sure. And there was like, you know, there was some crazy conspiracy theories floating around. I remember, and Sergio, do you remember this? Because um, I sort of remember this. Um, but I don't know if I'm remembering it right. But I feel like after Rip told us, uh, you know, you know, about the situation, I remember him saying something like, you're going to hear a lot of things in the next couple of days. Um and don't you know? Don't believe any of them. I think is what is what he said. Do you remember that? I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I believe that happened. Uh, so you know, who knows what he meant at the time? But he usually had a good track record of being right. And there was a lot of crazy shit that got floated around over the next couple of days. So, um, but yes. But in any case, this it was it was Evad. That's all of them. It was. It was not. Um. Yeah, that whole thing. That's pretty crazy too. With the fact of him, you know, Kevin Sullivan booking his own divorce, as they put it. Yeah. Um. Not that it really probably had anything to do with the end of his life, but um, it would definitely set everything on the path. Well, here's the thing. Uh, and my wife was just peripherally kind of watching as I was watching it. And she did, you know, as a woman, she keyed in on a very important factor, which was even though Kevin Sullivan denies abuse, you know, more than likely there was abuse uh, with, 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 Na with Nancy. So that said, you know, she said my wife was like, well, and then she moved on to, to the next abuser as as that often happens and yeah. it was like well how do we know that you know like i I'm, I'm, I'm like weirdly defending chris benoit now like well i never heard that he was like that you know and i'm like and she's like he <laughs> killed them and i'm like all right uh so you know but we don't know if there was extreme you know but but it seems like there was like she you know clearly said numerous times like i was worried about him and blah 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 so uh or you know to her sister uh that he was acting erratic and and stuff so well well uh, not to, not to not to weirdly defend chris benoit or anything but you know once you've committed the ultimate act of abuse you could look back at anything that ever happened and be like up oh, see there was the signs right there 
Yeah. You know, so, you know, they could have had normal, they could have had normal marriage arguments that, you know, I've, I've been in relationships where things got physical. That wasn't like me punching a woman in the face, but it still got like probably two out of hand for either one of us. And it's just like, what are we doing? Kind of thing, you know? Um, but I would never consider myself abusive and I would never have said I was in an abusive relationship where somebody abused me, but that doesn't mean that, you know, tempers don't get high and stuff doesn't get thrown across a room or whatever, you know? So like when you, when you look back at it, you know, if that's, if this is the ultimate ending, of course, anything could seem like a telltale sign, but I mean, you know, who knows? Yeah. Maybe we also Uh, say that Nancy was the type of woman that pushed two completely different guys buttons at certain times too. Yeah. I've got plenty of those. What did you think of, um, I had a one kind of strange reaction just, and I'm not sure if it was, I don't know. It was just something about the way that Daniel, right. Or wait, wait, what's the son's name? The one who's alive, David, David. uh, that man, he's just, and maybe he was just excited to be on a documentary, you know, and to be, to be interviewed. But initially he just had this like strange, um, giddiness about on there you know and i was like god it just seems so contrary to the topic at hand but uh but you know maybe it's a it's conflicting emotions i didn't really i've seen him i didn't get that did you get that sergio well i saw him recently on the chris van vliet show he got interviewed and he seems to be a pretty happy-go-lucky positive guy and i think maybe maybe he was maybe trying to maintain that yeah, Even that's, I not, think that's so. not what he what he wasn't really wasn't feeling, you know. At the very end, now, Mark, you didn't watch the second part. I have not seen the second. Part. I'm going to watch. Yeah, he it today. Bra- he he breaks down really hard in the end. It was it's okay. hard not to get choked up watching it. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's like you know, and I'm not I'm you know not related to to, to either him or, or 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 Guerrero, and you know being at WrestleMania 20 and and seeing those two guys and the the the, uh, the confetti fall and going and being a person who at the time was definitely aspiring to, to, to be a worker and, and, and be in the ring. And uh, I, I don't know, I'm five. Uh, let's see in wrestling, in wrestling uh, uh, fudged numbers. I'm probably, uh, I don't know, six foot. What would you say, Jamie? Well, how tall are you for a shoot? Uh, five, nine and a half. Got to say that half. Yeah. Six, six foot. <laughs> yeah. Six foot, baby. Uh, so, you know, seeing those two guys who are legit, probably five, eight at most, uh, wow. be, you know, cause I, I don't know what they build them as, but I can, I can assure you that Benoit <laughs> six foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can assure you that Benoit was like maybe five, eight, you know, he was quite, quite short, um, comparatively. Uh, and I, yeah, I just see those guys there and, and be, you know, the, the top of the, the card i was like oh yeah i could do this you yeah know, like, this, much this like is... sergio he measures everyone against himself yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but uh but that's certainly something you notice when you're backstage you're just like wait a second how could i be the same height as Shawn michaels oh right uh you know like there there are some people that do surprise you you know like billy gunn is is shockingly quite tall and and and, and big um but uh but yeah like even like carlito i was like wait a second i'm exactly the same height as him how is this possible 
Is that you're the same height as his afro or head to head? Well, definitely not the afro. Yeah, he's okay. he, he towers uh, above many men. He's six with four. The afro. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So yeah, I I don't um I didn't really get that I didn't really get that vibe from David. Uh, I just to me it just looked like a kid that was trying to hold it together. I didn't think he was giddy. I just thought it was his his face, just the way his face is. Um, yeah, probably and right. he, and he, man, like, like Sergio said, I mean, yeah, he can't hold it together the whole time. Um, and that's the thing, like, you know, I'm watching this and, uh, you know, I don't get too emotional about a lot of things, but when somebody else breaks, I tend to break because yeah. if, it, you know, if it means that much to them, then it's hard for me to, you know, hold it together as well. So, yeah, uh, yeah. just, just hearing Chavo talk about it and, David and everything it was kind of tough but um you know it just goes to show how real some of this stuff can get I mean it's 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 crazy you know the way he unfortunately you know if Chris could have known that um everything doesn't actually have to be real to look real uh you know he things things might have gone differently for him um, yeah but that's just how it was. But yeah, um, I don't know, guys. Uh, anything we didn't talk about? Mm. What, did, what did you think, uh, you know, because another part of it that did get me, at least, I, I don't know if I was like emotional when it happened, but I was, I was, uh, I was moved in a way, was the description of, of of Ben, because I've heard all the stories. You know, I knew that Chavo uh, found Eddie, or you know, after he was told by the uh, the hotel employees, mm-hmm. um, and then he found Eddie, and that Eddie had the toothbrush in his hand, and um, and you know all that. I didn't know the story of when he had phoned Benoit, and then Benoit let out that that sort of primal. Yeah. Uh, yes. uh, that was um, was very interesting, and. Uh, what did you think of that and, and, and Chavo saying like that, that Benoit took it almost like a spouse? I've heard that story before, probably from Chavo. There was very little, if anything in this, uh, in this two hour documentary that I learned that I would say I've heard some version of almost everything in here. And if, if there is something I hadn't heard before, I don't know what it is. Most of it would probably have been from uh, Nancy's sister. Right. Because I haven't really heard about her because she kind of wasn't ever in the picture. And she wasn't ever in the public eye. Um, She was just, she was kind of like, you know, that would have been the only other, the only other stuff I've never heard. But I've heard the story of how Benoit reacted to Eddie's death. Um, immediately I've heard about how he reacted to it following, you know, the fact that he would, you know, I didn't know the frequency with which, you know, he would, you know, he and Vicky were, you know, together and he was crying on her shoulder or whatever, but I've heard that. And I've heard Jericho tell the story about, you know, him weeping through his funeral suit and all this other stuff. So like, I've heard all of that. So hearing it again, it wasn't really, I, you know, I guess it, it didn't, uh, it didn't take a, um, 
like uh it didn't register as much yeah. i can't really remember how it registered when i first heard it um but i can totally just something about like I, I I never met Chris Benoit formally. I didn't know him or anything like that, but I sort of felt like, I don't know how to describe it without sounding like an asshole, but I'll just say, I felt like I, I get the guy, like I get guys like him. I've met, I get a sense of him. Um, yeah. so like I'm, I very in tune with that, that idea of just like, when something immediately snaps and you have no, you know, regard for even trying to hold it together anymore. Um, yeah, it must've been, it must've been animalistic in, in the way it must've sounded to Chavo, you know? Yeah. And just, I guess perhaps, you know, for a closed off individual who kept a guard up, it seemed like most of the time, but yet the, 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 the sole individual who, you know, that, um, he he connected with and and was vulnerable with seemed to be Eddie and so to then to have this individual you know disappear be you know die be gone from this plane it probably was like you know a shock to the system of like well I he didn't want to do the work anymore for a new person you know that's the way people are in this life is it's like well he's too old to to, to drop the guard and to do this all over again. I mean, yeah. you know, not everybody's Dusty Rhodes. You know, Dusty Rhodes <laughs> told me that night, actually, uh, uh, that that we heard in, in Corpus Christi. I vividly recall, because we're just back there kind of like coming up with a new, like, what are we what are we writing? Is this, a, okay, it's a tribute show. What do we want to have in it, you know? And, uh, and I'm sitting back there and, you know, Dusty, I'm talking to somebody about, uh, actually my wife uh, now like at the time though i we we hadn't really like had a date or really hooked up or anything like i knew her from college the prior year um but she had a boyfriend and stuff and so i was just talking about having messaged her and uh and dusty overheard and he was like um uh oh you know he's talking about his love life well i'm not going to get involved because he's you know young writer the fifth and rarely you know, stick around. So, uh, I'm not going to say, you know, my two cents. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, you know, I, I would really appreciate any, any ad- advice, you know? And I meant that sincerely, but also I was like, I want to get advice from fucking the American dream. That would be great. Right. Oh, yeah. uh, so he was like, yeah, all right. Okay. Uh, I'll make an exception. And so he, <laughs> he, you know, let his guard down and he and he talked to me for a few minutes about like you know whether whether he felt it was uh you know if my heart you know told me that i should pursue this girl and um even if it was going to be difficult being on the road and working for wwe he said you should you should pursue it if that's the way you feel and you know it was it was a nice moment and you know lo and behold i end up you know leaving the company a, a month later so he was right that he let his guard down for somebody who ultimately would be gone in a month, but not a lot of people are like that. You know, Chris, ben, I think actually people in many ways are more like a Chris Benoit and, uh, yeah. and, and you can understand that at least, um, you can't understand, you know, the end, but you can understand some of this behavior along the way, I think. Well, so, you know, an- another thing um, that is going to sound like an asshole thing to say, but I don't mean it, anything negative by it. It's just my experience is that uh, it, Chris Benoit was Canadian. 
and Canadians are weird. Like they're just, <laughs> they are, they are every stereotype you've ever heard That's about Canadian. True. Every stereotype you ever heard about them is true, right? It's like, they're all polite. Um, they're all really laid back and nice and they just give you the shirt off their back, but they're just a little bit weird, like just a little bit weird. And, um, yeah, socially awkward, maybe, maybe kind of introverted. Yeah. Just kind of like not, not necessarily around other Canadians. Cause they're all like that, but you know, just, but to, to Americans, it seems like they're just like us, except just a little something. And we can't always put our finger on it, but it's something about the further North you live, I guess the atmosphere does something to you. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but like, that's, that's why Alaskans are so weird. Right. Um, Alaskan assassin, Sarah Palin, you know, whatever. So, so, um, but, but yeah, so like take, take the weirdness of that. And then, you know, he's so, he was so single-minded. Chris Miller was so single-minded. Like this is what he really is all he obsessed about it at all times. Probably he probably didn't care about anything really besides, besides his family as much as wrestling. Um, and even amongst wrestlers, that there's very few people that he could probably, you know, look to with that kind of obsession. Like who, who can, who can share my obsession besides Eddie Guerrero, you know? And Chris Benoit wasn't part of like a wrestling dynasty family, you know, it, it, it even took a guy like Eddie Guerrero who's part of a famous wrestling family to even come close to having the level of obsession that Chris Benoit had. You know, and and in a as a kindred spirit like that, if you lose that connection, I mean, now you're just now you're just a obsessed weirdo by yourself. Because even though you love yeah. your family, they don't look at it the same as you. You can't talk to you can't talk to them on the same level. Even though your wife was in the business, but you can't talk to her about you know the the psychology of certain moves or whatever. Like you just th- there's not that connection. So when he when that strand was severed, you know, that was like, um, you know, that could have been, you know, it might as well have been like, uh, you know, part of his sanity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because you didn't have an outlet anymore. You know, the other guys, they didn't want to fucking talk about wrestling the way you did. You know what I mean? Not every, it, it's it, that I can somewhat, the way I relate that to my own experiences, when I, thought I was going to get in the wrestling business. I assumed everybody would be similar to me in that, you know, yeah, everybody's different, but I figure, well, we all got to kind of kind of like the same basic stuff to be into such a niche weird thing like pro wrestling. Like, you know, it's just, and I I just found that people's attitudes and, and tastes were very, very different surrounding that. Um, so yeah, I mean, there were few people could match the obsession that a Chris Benoit had. Uh, and that's probably why he took Eddie's death so hard because that was the closest, you know, closest thing he had. I'm sure Chris Jericho is, he like, yeah, Chris Jericho likes wrestling, but he also likes to go out and get drunk. <laughs> you know, he's not, yeah. he's not, he's not into talking about holds all night. No. So. And Jericho has even <laughs> stated that like he and, and Malenko would like to go to Waffle House and fucking gorge mm-hmm. on some pancakes or whatever mm-hmm. waffles. Uh, whereas, you know, Guerrero and, and, and Benoit were like, no, no, no cheat days. This is, I got to pat, so- I got, I got to pat my egg white down with a napkin to get the extra <laughs> grease off. Um, 
So, yeah, and there, there was another thing, too, like, when they're talking about, you know, when they were talking about, uh, remember Sergio, when he was talking about um, Eddie getting him into religion, you know? Yeah. Like, kind of, and, and he's starting to ask questions and stuff. It was, I, I can almost, you know, I can almost bet that that was, like, that was just Benoit's, like, way of sort of giving back, you know, to Eddie. Like, you know, the same way you, you'd you pretend to be into what a girl's into that you like. Yeah. You know, like, oh, you like uh, One Direction? Me too. You know, like, no, you don't. <laughs> but but, it's, but it's, 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 like, on that level. It's like, well, the least I can do is listen to what Eddie's trying to tell me because he's such a good friend to me. So yeah. I want to hear what he has to say. Like, not that Benoit needed that religion in his life. But he never would have considered it, you know, if it wasn't coming from that exact human being. So, yeah, yeah, heavy stuff, man. Yeah, 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 man, pretty deep. Yeah. So, um, so is that is that pretty much about cover it? Um, are we ready to get on out of here? Let's uh go off into uh, right off into the sunset. Don't go see Boston podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Sergio, you got to check out the uh, Broken Skull Sessions with uh, Bret Hart. You like that, huh? Yeah, it was great. I liked, I liked seeing uh, Steve and Bret watch their WrestleMania 13 match and analyze it as going on. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah, I love the Taker one, so I, I, I know I'm going to love this one. Yeah, this, yeah. this is a good one. Um, just, uh, like I was saying before, it just watching... You know, I got emotional watching Brett talk about his match because I started realizing that, man, no one's ever going to be that good again. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's all going to be, you know, Chuck Taylor's from here on out. There's not going to be any more. <laughs> it's not going to be any more excellence of executions like that. You know, it's just not going to happen. So, yep. uh, you know, that that was that was kind of a sobering moment for me. But another, at least, another Canadian weirdo. Yep. <laughs> yeah, man. Weird. weird. That's weird. Wait, well, well. In the meantime, we're just gonna have to, you know, put our stock into Matt Riddle. Mm. Yep. The next excellence of execution. Yeah, I don't know about all that, but uh, in any event, um, well, I want to thank uh, Mark for jumping on with us um, in these uh, uncertain times, or what is it, current circumstances, or whatever they're calling it. Um, um I appreciate it. Um, and we would like to, of course, hear from you and how much you appreciate it. I was kind of hoping our numbers would do a little bit better since nobody has anything else to do, but it seems like, you know, wrestling podcasts are the furthest thing from people's minds at the current time, but hopefully we can change all that. Um, and you know, hopefully going forward, if there's no content, uh, for them to provide for us to talk about, then we'll have to provide our own content and maybe we can do, you know, some other, some other stuff, reviews, uh, perhaps even watch alongs, uh, hey. you know, yep. Mark's been pushing for the watch along. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, it might be something to try. Um, but please, please tell me you're not, you're not going to make us watch Okada matches. Uh, it would be your great privilege to watch Okada matches, is what you mean to say. No. Which, Which, what we should watch is Saturday night, uh, uh, WCW Saturday night, something like that in studio. Colonel yeah, well, Robert Parker, that's what I want. Yeah, Bunkhouse yeah. Buck, yeah. The one, sure. the, the, the blonde guy from High Voltage versus oh, the yeah. Hitler. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The that's... guy who played 
the guy who played Sabretooth, Tyler Maine. Tyler Maine. Yeah, people was like, when when that movie came out, they were like, professional wrestler Tyler Maine. I was like, who? Uh, me too. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I never heard of this guy. We, we can watch some uh, Terra Rising. Terror oh Rising. yeah. Yeah, I've never actually seen one of those matches, so that could that could be something. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll figure we'll definitely figure out something to do. Um, it could be all of those things. Um, but uh, yeah, but nonetheless, hit us up uh, on social media. Um, I can be found at Opinion Haver anywhere that uh, you can type that into a search engine. And um, Sergio, you can be found at yeah Instagram. You can find me at Sergezilla and Twitter. Mr. Sergezilla. All right, simple enough. And Mark, you can be found at over on the Twitter at killing time underscore twenty three, and on Instagram is just killing time twenty three. That's right, and you can always uh, get uh, Mark's progressive political opinions on those uh, channels. And let's see what else. Anything else? Do we forget anything, guys? Are we just about done? I think we're done. I'm good, yeah. That's a wrap. Okay, we have been three in, and we are now out.